how often <laughs> is that our story where, you know, the weekend comes, we just are so tired and then we sleep through our kid's soccer game or we're not fully present at, you know, an important event or we, we miss a recital just because our calendars are insane. We don't have the right tools and we don't have the right mindset. The world around us is changing faster than ever. We hear people say, everything's a blur. And when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, a self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer to our big self. Joe Sanic is a productivity researcher, business consultant, and creator of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast. Let's just say Joe gets a lot done, but he does manage to do this with his ideas of hard and soft boundaries and clearly delineating the lines between what is work and what is play. There is a lot to learn from Joe, his approach, and the initiatives he started through his book and from his programs. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Joe Sanic, welcome to The Big Self Show. Hi, Chad. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you and great to have you back, Joe. You are the very first repeat guest. What? <laughs> I am honored. Holy cow. I had no idea. That That's incredible. I'm even more jazzed than I already was, which I didn't know was possible. <laughs> well, it is exciting. And um, yeah, the, the next one will be Jerry Colonna. He's coming back around too. He's got a new book out, but it's great to have you back on, Joe. And, um, you know, your book that's been around now for, well, a year, year and a half, but it's got legs. It's got some staying power and, and that's exciting. So there are elements to it that we can revisit here. Uh, but before we begin, uh, as we begin for each of our uh, guests this season on season five, we like to ask, what does living in your big self or when you hear the term big self, what first comes to mind, Joe? Yeah, you know, I would say that for me, big self really means authentic self. It means uh, who am I at my core? Uh, it's interesting to just think about how often um, things that we were as children, you know, kind of find their way back into adult life. So, <laughs> you know, for example, as a kid, every report card said Joey talks to his neighbors too much. He gets his work done too fast, and then he talks to his neighbors and distracts them. And now I get work done fast. I train people on that. 
and I just get paid to talk to people. And so it's like, you know, I, I would say in a, in a sense, your, your big self is returning to your, your authentic self or, you know, maybe that innocent self or um, discovering aspects of that. Now, you never have to be stuck to who you were as a kid, especially if you didn't like that or didn't feel like it was healthy. But for me, uh, I think there's a lot of great things as, as a child that that I experienced it in that wonder in the world. And now being a dad of two amazing girls, uh, I want to pass that on and help them live their, their biggest, most authentic lives. What a fun way to, uh, to take on that, that question. And yeah, like, why is it a bad thing to finish your work <laughs> too fast? <laughs> right. Oh, that's, that's funny. Um, well, you know, I kind of just want to start off, Joe, with just, you know, like as basically kind of a, a starting point from your book is just, you know, what do you mean by the industrialists are trying to kill us? And are they still winning? And is understanding this a part of the key to overcoming burnout and exhaustion? Yeah, you know, there has been a resurgence for sure after the pandemic. There's all the quiet quitting and there was all those things where, you know, people got to work remotely and it was just messy during the pandemic and in the year after, you know, kind of the the throes of the pandemic and we're seeing a lot of people be called back into work and these things that folks thought, oh, they're going to get a glimpse into that productivity isn't based on butts in the seat, that we're going to evaluate these things. There's there's a strong industrialist mindset of butts in the seats equals like we're paying you for what we should be paying you for. Um, and so it's really interesting to see how that mindset that you know, people are in roles like like a robot or like a machine that you plug in and it spits out this data. It spits out a, a Model T. It spits out whatever on the assembly line it is so embedded in the way that we think about things. Uh, and then I also have hope where I see people doing crazy new ways of, of thinking about their businesses and and they're killing it. They're they're growing. They're changing. They're adapting. Um, even unleashing a lot of our team um, to really not be monitored by me has created insane results uh, in ways that if I were in the way, uh, I totally would have slowed down. I would have questioned it too much. And, and just, you know, the creativity that by me stepping back and, and saying, I, I'm not paying for people to sit in a chair, I'm paying for outcomes, I'm paying for innovation. Um, it gives me hope, even though I see industries that are, are going back to these old ways that for the most part don't work. Yeah. I, I wonder too, if there's like vested interests of uh, commercial real estate needing to get seats filled. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that would lead us to a digression. You know, I think what's important here is your message is not a hype message. Uh, I really you know, I, I know that some, you know, some marketing language and some people could hear, oh, okay, here, here we go with the theme of the shorter work week and how you can get more done in less time. But I, I do want to reassure the audience listening here at the top of the show and, and just connecting with you a little bit here on this, this theme as, as I've revisited your book, it's, it's really, it's got a lot of, uh, nooks and crannies and, and depth. It's not just something that you consume real fast. There's all kinds of um, ways, it, little inventories you can you can take. Can you tell us about like kind of like how we have that 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 theme, that narrative you share about the tortoise and the hare, and how we have it wrong, and and kind of your new interpretation of that as a case in point 
for for how this is a realistic message yeah so you know the classic story of the tortoise and the hare you know this this rabbit this hare and this turtle are having a, a race for some reason we don't know <laughs> and uh you know the rabbit r- runs all the way to the end right before the finish line takes a nap and then the tortoise just goes slow and steady and crosses the finish line and the the moral of the story usually is kind of the standard Protestant American work ethic of just slow and steady, you know, never stop, just keep going over and over. I would actually argue that the hare did it right. You know, he or she ran as fast as they could, their full energy. And then when they felt like sleeping, they did. The problem is they didn't have the tools they needed. They didn't have an alarm clock. They didn't have a schedule to know how long they would run. Like if they, if if that hare had run just an extra, you know, 100 yards and crossed the finish line, they could have been done. They could have been relaxing, hanging with their buddies. It was mindset and tools that that hare didn't have. Uh, and instead, they just passed out out of exhaustion and then they got screwed over. And so it's like, how often <laughs> is that our story where, you know, the weekend comes, we just are so tired and then we sleep through a kid's soccer game or we're not fully present at, you know, an important event or we, we miss a recital just because our calendars are insane. We don't have the right tools and we don't have the right mindset. Um, and do we genuinely think people should always be working? They should always be that turtle that's just nonstop walking over and over. I would actually say no. I mean, the turtle did what they're supposed to, uh, but they probably wanted a break also. Um, they were just slow and steady. <laughs> right. So uh, so I would say that it's just a, a problematic story to begin with, but then it also points to what we need. We need a different mindset and we need better tools. So it's good to be fast, but <laughs> you're saying good to be light and fast and efficient, but we need to learn how at least to be able to rest so that we can get back up, finish that race. And, and that is a big part of your, um, your theme, um, with Thursdays, the new Friday. Um, so, and one aspect of that, a dimension of that is, um, you know, as we, we frequently talk about on the podcast and we frequently hear about in general is this idea of needing to adopt or adapt a learner's mindset, a growth mindset, what the Buddhists called the beginner's mind. And, um, and you advocate for doing that through um, developing curiosity about yourself. And you even have an inventory about like, well, just how curious are you really? Well, I mean, what would you say is an excellent way for us to self-assess and literally try to develop more curiosity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Happy to share about that. So that's one of our three internal inclinations that's been discovered in the research that top leaders have naturally. And so in the book, we walk through an assessment where you figure out, you know, where am I at with curiosity? You know, where am I at in regards to having an outsider perspective? And where am I at regarding being able to move on it? And so we actually, for your audience, we'll offer for free that assessment. It's usually 50 bucks. So uh, it's just joesanock.com forward slash test. And then if they just use the code TITNF, so Thursday is the new Friday for that TITNF, that'll waive all the, the $50. So they can go through that for free and get the full assessment that's based on the research um, without even buying the book. Um, so, So once you figure out whether curiosity is natural in you at this point, or whether it's something that needs to be developed, um, you know, whether it's through that assessment or just, you know, some questions to ask yourself, you know, I think about 
you know, my kids. So uh, my two nieces who are slightly younger than my daughters who are eight and 12. So four girls, um, they frequently, we live in the same neighborhood. So the, the two nieces, my two daughters were playing outside recently and it got really quiet. I'm the only adult here. And when a bunch of kids get quiet, you, you got to check on them. <laughs> and, and so I, <laughs> I go true. outside, I go outside and they, they found this dead mouse and they're just all standing around it. And they're like, it's dead. Like, like poke it, see if it's just sleeping. Um, do you think an owl's gonna eat it? Well, do owls like dead mice or live mice? Like, should we bury it? What kind of mouse funeral should we do? It's like the most hilarious discussion, but they're just curious. They've they've never experienced a dead mouse like this before. And, and so as kids, when we're curious, we're trying to sort out like, is this normal? Like, is our dead mice in my backyard something I should expect for the future? Or is this like a rainbow? It comes once or twice a year and I need to like really understand it. You know, the first car accident a kid is in, they're like, is this how things happen or is this like abnormal? And so they're always trying to sort out all these things. They're curious about it. And there's a certain point in our adult development that we don't need that as much. We feel safe. We understand how the world works for the most part. But leaders that can stay curious are the ones that really are able to step into new things. And so, you know, recently we did this Google ads campaign to, to do some of our work around, um, we have a membership community for therapists called Next Level Practice. And so we're sending people into that funnel. Um, I hadn't done this level of Google ads campaign. And I clicked the wrong box where instead of just going to all of the search terms I wanted, it ended up being this broad search term. So in spend, instead of spending... $300. I spent like $3,000. So Oops. I was not happy that one click of a box did that. I'm an amateur in the area, you know, points to why I should have just hired a professional. Now I could be really mad and, and be like, what the heck? Like I spent all this money. Like nobody wants to spend money unnecessarily, but with a curious mindset, we can say, well, what did we learn from this? Um, so we learned what search terms people click on that I hadn't even expected. We learned that the ones, these ones that I did, you know, people clicked on these other ones, nobody did. And these ones I hadn't even thought of people did. So I just got a $3,000 class on what works and what doesn't work. Now that's a much <laughs> different mindset than stupid Joe who just dropped 3k accidentally. Like I still definitely had that mindset a little bit. Like, let's be honest here, but right. To have a curious mindset of like when things quote fail, what data can we get from it? What can we understand that we wouldn't have understood without that failure? That's awesome. Yeah, we when we we think about we kind of describe that in terms of like trying that curiosity. What can I learn from this? Gets us to that above the line, a little bit more conscious thinking than the reactive defensive stance of below the line. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and you know, by the way, on your site, I noticed that you have, um, this like an experiments section based on your book. You do, you do a lot of cool, innovative things that, um, kind of give legs to your community as well as, as your book. And so could you just what, like in that invitation that you've, you've offered to people, have you gotten a lot of response of like experiments that people have been conducting, like trying to live this Thursday as a new Friday approach? And could you share one with us? Yeah, I would say the majority of the experiments that we've seen have actually been people that were already in our community, which is okay. really cool to see. So, you know, people that are in our membership communities are doing consulting with us. Um, I had this, uh, I have this one-on-one -on -one consulting client who is a psychiatrist, really, you know, private pay, charging, you know, quite a bit of money per session. And he was looking at his finances with me and we realized that, 
you know, his wife's income as a surgeon basically covered all of their family expenses. So his expenses and the money he brought in as a psychiatrist was all money for paying off student loan debt, going on vacation, their savings, retirement, like whatever they wanted. They could totally live off of her income, which he hadn't even realized until he looked at this. So one of the experiments was, okay, what would happen if you started going after the things that avoid burnout for you? Because he was headed towards burnout. Um, and so we started to brainstorm of like, what for you represents really doing something for yourself. And for him, it was, you know, going rock climbing once a week and meditating daily. And so we did an experiment where we're just looking at something very small, like what, what would have to happen to get you to be able to go rock climbing, you know, once a week with yourself or with some buddies you know, during the day when your kids are at school and you're supposed to be working, not right. the meetings where, you know, your wife has to then now watch the kids and, and what kind of conversations would you have to have to do that? What would have to happen from a financial standpoint? Um, and so it, this one little thing of rock climbing once a week then created an entire experimental plan where, you know, he sat down with his wife and had a tough conversation of what he thought was going to be a tough conversation. He thought she was going to be like, why do you get to go rock climbing when I'm doing surgery? Instead, she said, yes, like we've been going through med school. We have young kids, like whatever makes you happier and more grounded please go do it. Like she was like begging him to go do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so this thing that for him was like, she's going to freak out and feel like it's unfair. It's like, oh my gosh, like if that's true, what else is true? Uh, and so he's like, maybe I want to go on vacation with some friends, you know, for a week. And like, so what does that unleash? So it's been amazing to watch over the last three months as he's taken Fridays off, gone rock climbing every other Friday. He realized that every Friday is not what he wants. He didn't, it was more like if I could rock climb, that'd be awesome. But then when he had it, He's like, oh, you know, I'd rather do things more than just rock climbing. Mm -hmm. So this experiment then adapts and changes and has created a more open discussion between he and his spouse. It's also had a reevaluation of the finances. His finances actually haven't dipped. He's just more efficient now. On Fridays, he was doing all this paperwork that he ends up doing in between sessions now and works the same number of hours, makes the same amount of money and takes Fridays off. And so sometimes when we have those conversations that we're scared of and we do an experiment and say, okay, let's try this for six weeks. You know, either one of us can kind of pull the plug on it after that and, and we'll just see. Then it allows us to say, could we step into a different life that is a little bigger, a little better than maybe what it is right now? I like that. that that's uh, that's inspiring. I, I didn't know that they would um, kind of go in that territory of just this idea of just asking curious questions and not just shutting it down like out of hand. On your podcast, which is really for generally the audience is for other therapists and, and pr- practicing, developing their, their practice. And um, you often, when you're like challenging them with an idea, you're saying, Hey, you got, you could do this. You could try this. You I've, I've heard you refrain, just do it. Just take some action. Why do you think, and I'm, I'm sure there's maybe some obvious reasons, but why do you think it's important to just tell people to take action? Yeah. I'm so glad that you point that out, Chad, because um, so often, especially people that have master's and doctorate degrees, 
have spent their entire education doing it right. You know, they've been top of their class. They defended their dissertation. They got into the best grad schools. They, you know, have instructors that teach them, here's how you do it. I mean, especially in the mental health world, like you don't want to screw people up. <laughs> you know, like it's good they take their careers seriously. Let, let's start with that. Right. But if we look at the business world, um, there's always this tension between speed and accuracy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were going to launch a new e-course, you could overthink it for the next two years. You could re-record it and get even better video, even better audio, and it's going to be so accurate and so pointed. But we may not know if there's even an audience for that. I would rather you do a you know 20-minute live teaching to test the idea, send that out to your audience, charge people 19 bucks, and you know, get 500 people to sign up for it and say, oh, there's, there's an audience there. And we tested it out. We threw together this webinar. And then we're going to survey those people and say, like, do you want more of this kind of thing? And now we have some warm leads. Now, that's a big shift for the average mental health clinician and for a lot of business people because they want to do things accurate. They want to do things that you know uh, value it looking really good and feeling good. This is my image, my branding. All those can be true. And we can also say, we want to move faster than what that would allow. We want speed over accuracy because then what we can do is we can get feedback. We can see what works. We can see what doesn't work. When we when we launched Next Level Practice, that's our membership community for people that are in private practice and solo mm-hmm. practice. Uh, instead of the $99 a month we charge now, we charged $55 a month for that first cohort. And we said to them, we're going to F this thing up. We're going to screw it up. We're going to have you tell us what we need Mm. to do more of. Um, We want your feedback. And part of that is that's why you're paying almost half the price of what everyone else is going to pay. We went through nine different webinar platforms in the first two months. We would have webinars and people would be on their iPad and say, it's not working. And then we'd find out this company doesn't even work on an iPad. And we're like, that's dumb. <laughs> and then we had other ones that looked really fancy and they they wouldn't work on non-Apple phones. And so we ended up at the time landing on Zoom, which wasn't the best in webinars, but it worked across the board and we overall got the best results from it. And But instead of having egg on our face for the first two months of this thing, Every time we're like, thanks for helping us figure out what we need. And people were like, very gracious, a lot of feedback. And then we could say, okay, we're going to, now that we have our webinar platform, tell us the top 10 courses you want us to create for you. And we're going to knock those out one month at a time, exactly what you want. So then our paying audience is saying, we want a course on how to name a private practice. We want a course on the legal side of a private practice. We want to know how to network with people if you're an introvert. All these things that we could have guessed but now our paying audience is telling us what they want and they're co-creating this with us and we're making the exact product they want. And so then we can get that feedback and have a better product and better testimonials when we're ready to go for a really big launch to the rest of the public. I can really register with that because in some ways you're also never going to know if something worked with whatever device until you begin doing it. And if you take yourself super seriously and, oh, here we go, and we're totally ready, and then it starts to happen as well, you're like, you don't know how to handle it. You don't know the spirit in which to handle it as well. Right. Yeah, we, we were launching this thing called Podcast Launch School. So we my idea was, okay, I have all these people that have group practices. They're great at, you know, say trauma or marriage, and they all want to launch these podcasts. Let's right. put together an e-course for 500 or 1,000 bucks, like teach them every single step, bring in the audio engineers. So that was the idea. So we went through the 3P process that we do anytime we launch a product. And I jumped on uh, phone calls with my highest end consulting clients. They were the warmest leads for this podcasting. 
And I just said, so the three P's are, are pain, product, and price. So first it was, you know, tell me the pain of, of starting a podcast. And they're like, it's confusing. I don't know where to, how, where to start. Should I buy a fancy microphone? What about show notes? Like all those basic questions. So I'm getting good copy on the pain. And then I reflected back that pain and said, so imagine with that pain in mind, there was a product that really helped you with that process. Like, what would that product look like? And I thought they were going to say an e-course, you know, a self-paced e-course. Like that's what I'm thinking in my head. But they came back and said, Joe, your team, you know, manages five podcasts right now. You have the system down. Honestly, if I could just show up and record and have your team just take on everything, like that would be amazing. Like a done for you podcast. And I'm like, that wasn't even on my radar. Okay. Yeah. Would you want consulting part of that? Would you want like a meeting with a producer? Like, what would you want? And they're like a dedicated sound engineer if things get screwed up. And so they're like designing this product as I talk to people. And then I said, well, what would you pay for something like that? What, what would the price be? The final P <laughs> and universally it was 18,000 to $25,000 that they were saying they would pay for that. And I, would have totally missed a product opportunity by just launching an e-course. So I sent an email back out to those people saying, you know, we're opening four spots at $20,000 each. Here's what's included from interviewing you guys. Um, after, you know, the first week, uh, we're going to open it up to the public, but most likely, you know, four of you are going to grab these spots. Within 48 hours, I had sold all four spots and then had $80,000 to start this new arm of my business. So then it was, we were able to then hire sound engineers, extra ones, hire extra people to do the sound engineering, hire extra people to do the show notes after we had the money in hand and proved the product. And, and so that's where most people get it wrong, where they think they need to have the perfect product from the beginning, make it look flashy, and then find their audience. If you have the audience, they'll just tell you what they want to buy. Yeah. Uh, well, it sounds quite entrepreneurial of you. Um, hey, so I, I've been curious about this uh, question related to Thursday as the new Friday. Um, yeah, I've, I've, thro I've thrown it out uh, spontaneously to um, a guest or two about like, well, are you able to live, you know, you say you're burning out. Um, what about trying to take this approach? Uh, and I've I've received an interesting response from what where she said, um, if, I believe it was Teresa Caro. Um, she said, "Well, I don't want to live a Monday through Thursday life. I want to live a prioritized life. Uh, maybe everything doesn't fit within these certain windows, but I I want to be able to have my priorities. I guess so. My kind of question is just." Um, how literally are we to take Thursday as the new Friday? And what do you think about that idea of living yeah. this prioritized life? Yeah, Thursday is the new Friday is a great title. It's a great hook. You know, people want Fridays off. To me, I would say it's a metaphor because um, okay. the industrialists say, here's the way to do it and everyone should do it this way. That's an industrialist way of thinking of you have to work Monday through Thursday now. That's, <laughs> that's not really what we're talking about here. Uh -huh. What we're talking about here is determining what you want to work on, what your impact's going to be, and how you can be most effective in the time you do it. Now, you know, for her, it may be that, yeah, she works six days a week, but she does it where in the middle of the day, she has two hours where she goes stand up paddleboarding and, you know, never misses her kids' games or anything like that. 
Um, to me, that's where really determining your hard boundaries and your soft boundaries is the core kind of teaching in the book that I would say someone would want to look to. And so determining yeah. what are those hard boundaries? So for me, you know, I wrote a book about not working on Friday. I love having Fridays off. So I'm never going to take an ongoing consulting client on a Friday. That's a hard boundary. Never going to do it. Now, occasionally, if something's right and it's the right opportunity, I may do an interview once a quarter on a Friday. Um, actually, last Friday, I the only time that worked in my schedule in the next two months to do four hours of updated video recording was on Friday with the videographer. So I did that on Friday. But I took a week off a month ago to go to an improv intensive in Chicago. And then a week after that, I went to Glacier National Park with my partner for a week. And so it's not like I'm just letting that that entrepreneurial creep come into my life. It's that my summer schedule, if you look at it in regards to days off, is way more than just taking Fridays off. But then when I'm working, I have to really work during that time. So my summer schedule is just different. And having that adaptability, having that menu, that's the shift away from the industrialist to say, okay, what's the menu here that I can pull from? And it's not just like a prescription where this is how everyone does it, it's a menu. Um, so as long as, you know, this lady that you're talking about isn't letting that entrepreneurial creep come in where every night when the kids are in bed, she's checking emails. And then on Saturdays, she's checking emails and she says, I love work. She's probably overvalued work and undervalued play. And that that's the danger for most entrepreneurs because they enjoy what they do. And then it just creeps in and becomes the default of where they spend their time instead of intentionally saying, when am I going to work? How am I going to work? And when am I not going to work? And making sure there's very strong boundaries around those areas. Well, I hope that Shelly is listening to this episode because I just posed that question in our Facebook community beyond burnout. And uh, and I asked this idea of play and how we, like, how do we get away from play? How do we discover the habit of play more? And her Shelly's response as another administrator in the group was, you know, what if your work is your play and you really love what you're doing. <laughs> and it kind of stopped me in my track a little bit. And here this very day, you are saying that there is maybe sometimes a bit of a blur there for entrepreneurs and that's not unusual. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say that I would want someone to evaluate how much of their work is fueling their ego. I mean, you mentioned Buddhism and, you know, I would, mm -hmm. you know, value a lot of Taoist teachings as well. Um, and looking at, you know, is it actual play for you? Like some people have, have created things that genuinely feel playful and that's their work and it absolutely is play for them. Yeah. Awesome for you. Um, for me, looking at QuickBooks with my accountant and bookkeeper does not feel like play. I have to do it, <laughs> but it never feels like play. So really determining, um, you know, what does that look like? And I would challenge anyone to find one thing that they could get in their schedule, sign up for a class, sign up for, you know, a league and just say, what, what's one thing a week that I can do that has nothing to do with business. It's not like if I do this thing, I become better at this in business that you genuinely play for me. That's improv every Tuesday night. I'm in an improv troupe. We do it for two and a half hours. I did this intensive in Chicago. I actually am starting a troupe. So now Wednesday nights, I also have a troupe. So it's kind of taking over my life. <laughs> but I love it. I laugh so hard that I don't have to do ab workouts anymore. I just like go to a place that I don't think about anything. I don't think about being a single dad. I only think about the scenes and I love it. And I think peppering in something like that, like, you know, once a week, is there an evening you could try something that is totally play 
that you can do guilt-free and just see if that's true. See, do an experiment around the idea that work is your play and challenge that idea. Well, and that's part, Joe, of what I really love about, like I said, your message, it's not just hype. You're talking about not just being a rabbit and getting things done faster, um, but you are talking about the full humanity of our life experience and actually, speaking of which, you, as I understand, you came back from, I think it was uh, one of your retreats, the Killing It 2022. Mm-hmm. And you had, and, and I, as I understand from Cancun, you you had a salmonella poisoning and then a revisiting of it. And you had to have some emergency surgery in November. How, how was that rest and recovery? And, and how are you doing now? Yeah. I mean, for one, it's just hilarious that I put on an event called killing it camp and it almost killed me. (laughs) Like, I mean, I just, the irony of that alone cracks me up. Um, but yeah, so I came back from, from Cancun. I had salmonella. I didn't know I had it. And then ended up in the ER. They gave me the typical treatment of Cipro. I always thought that salmonella was like a bad food poisoning, which it's majorly different. Um, so when you hear salmonella and spinach, throw out your spinach, (laughs) um, So, um, yeah, so then ended up having an emergency surgery uh, in November of 2022, uh, where it came back and my body almost went septic. And they basically said, if you hadn't come in when you came in, uh, if this had burst, you would have died. Um, And so the recovery, I'm still recovering from it. Um, I still, uh, I have a doctor's appointment actually tomorrow. Um, So we're approaching, you know, almost a year dealing with this thing. But to me, it it points out a lot of different layers. You know, one was that my team, you know, the amount of things that that team took on during a very difficult time when, you know, I was in meetings and talking and giving good feedback, but a lot of it, I don't remember. I mean, I I was hopped up on pain meds and post-surgery meds and somehow my subconscious brain took over and I was able to direct the team. But if I watched those recordings, I'd probably be like, I have no idea what I said in that meeting. Um, And so to even just say, I probably should have stepped back a little bit more than I did, but um, really it was like once a week, I jump on a couple meetings and then the rest of the team took it on. So really it pointed to how important it is to have a good team um, or to have some sort of contingency plan. You know, not everyone can afford to have a huge team and, you know, to have emergency savings personally, having emergency savings for the business. Uh, you know, we always keep about six months of what it takes to run the business uh, in an emergency fund for those types of situations. But then even on the personal side, to just realize that thing that I've heard so many different entrepreneurs say, and that's that, you know, a healthy person has a million dreams, uh, but an unhealthy person has one. It's like, I had one thing that I wanted, and that was to get better. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was the focus. And so it's so easy to forget that, to forget to do the basics of, you know, eating right, exercising right, you know, having good groups of friends and, you know, things that get you out of bed in the morning. Those are things that we all need to remember and focus on. Um, And, you know, that time just, you know, when you get that close to potentially passing away, it's like, whoa, like I have eight and 12 year old daughters and so many things in the world that I care about. Like I need to continue to uh, just look out for my health and, and pay attention to that. Yeah. And it wasn't as a result of overworking. It was just, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing better and thanks for being vulnerable and open about um, that experience. I guess uh, as a last question, just um, maybe by contrast, um, tell us about Slowdown School. What's that that retreat like? And it sounds quite different from killing it. 
Um, yeah, you know, it's it's the two ends of the spectrum I talk about in the book. So Slowdown School um, is more of a, a micro conference where uh, people fly into northern Michigan and we genuinely slow down. We go for hikes. We bring in an executive chef. Uh, most summers we do it in July. Uh, this year, just after my health scare and after all the stuff, we decided to skip uh, 2023. Um, so the plan is it'll be back in 2024. So, you know, people can get notifications at slowdownschool.com. But we genuinely slow down for for two days go for hikes you know enjoy you know meeting other entrepreneurs uh, and then uh for Wednesday Thursday and Friday morning we run full tilt towards your business and so it's amazing to see how you know as we implement the sprint models I talk about as we implement really kind of quick decision making you know I've seen people launch businesses in half a day there that are now thriving seven figure businesses um there is a guy who for nine months had been working on a book proposal and he got it the majority of it done in a 20 minute sprint, uh, you know, outlined the entire book. And so just to tap into that slowing down, stepping back, allowing your brain to be optimized and then using the tools to kill it actually works. Like over and over, we have these testimonials of, I feel like I got four or five months worth of things done during these two days at slowdown school. And then it's just, it's just a springboard into what they could be doing at home. People then host their own slowdown schools where they, you know, get an Airbnb for a week and slow down for a few days and then just absolutely sprint and kill it. Uh, they're seeing that model live. Um, and then on Friday, uh, we do a chocolate tasting at uh, a local chocolatier who's won Harvard's Best Bean uh, Award year after year. We go wine tasting and just have fun celebrating the, the week that we had together. That's really cool. You know what? It, it, besides just sounding fun and effective, uh, it the, the very two things that I just um, just talked to the the Reverend Ed Bacon, and he has the Eight Habits of Love book, and we just focused on two of the habits. One is stillness, and the other was community. And it sounds like this retreat kind of combines a little bit of both: being still. And then also being able to have that community that a lot of people ever, especially ever since the pandemic, have been struggling to try to find. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we often think is it's these huge changes that are going to make a a monumental difference in our lives. But oftentimes it's learning really small habits. Like this one lady, Ellen, who came, uh, Ellen's probably 63, 64, um, moving towards retirement, but just loves her counseling practice. Um, And I remember we were having a conversation uh, at lunch one day and she was talking about how when she got back from slowdown school, she had to go help with this, this book fair. So people would donate all these books and then they would sell the books and that would help with, um, I think it was like a domestic violence shelter or something like that. So it was like a really good for the world thing. She's a former editor. uh, So she knew the worth of like antique books and stuff. And she's like, they need me, they need me. But she kept saying how much she didn't like doing it. And we challenged her to figure out an exit plan for this to be her last book time. And she did it. And to see her make that small decision to let go of a book fair, which seems like a pretty small thing, but weighed so heavily on her. Now she and her husband, Peter, are launching a podcast and, you know, she and her husband, Peter, are traveling. And she just feels like this thing that it only took a couple hours a week, but the amount of stress and worry and emails was just pronounced. It's oftentimes those small things where we say, yeah, that made sense a couple of years ago to do that. But why am I doing that by default now? Why am I not questioning my use of time of what I'm saying yes to and then saying this year I don't want to do that anymore 
Wow, that is, uh, that, I love that. And that is um, helpful. And Joe, thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your time with us again, not once, but twice. Um, and glad you're doing well. And we will definitely share links to all the things you mentioned in the show with the test code for the curiosity test. We'll link people to the experiments and, uh, and your manifesto and your book, a lot of cool things. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. And I think what Joe is sharing with us here is, again, there are values and priorities we live with. But if we say we want to figure out how to focus more on what's important when it's time to focus, we need to prioritize when we're working and when we're going to boundary time for play. We learn how to apply these principles to customize them for our own situation to be more productive at work while enjoying more leisure time. And you know where to find us at BigSelfSchool.com where we offer one-to-one -one coaching as well as trainings and workshops for organizations big and small. Here's to seeing you on our next episode of The Big Self Show.